You're listening to The Over 50 Entrepreneur, the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down. This is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business. Now here's your host, Rick Hadrava. Hey everybody, this is Rick Hadrava, and once again, you're listening to the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. I am, again, grateful that you decided to listen to our show today, and I have to tell you, I have two very entertaining and incredibly craftsman-oriented folks with us today. In the studio, we have Ty McBride and Morgan Reinhardt. They own Wood Window Rescue, and... I think what you're going to do is this is an opportunity for me as an over 50 entrepreneur to share with you some younger entrepreneurs who have taken an old man's business and turned it on its head. And we laugh about that, but the reality is they're doing things today um, that are interesting with technology and the platforms available. They've been on HGTV, had a pilot there. They've been on podcasts. The Craftsman blog named these guys the Preservation Rock Stars. And I can tell you in my work with these gentlemen, I've loved to get to know them personally. They're, they're husbands, they're dads, devoted uh, family people. They love what they do, and they're just really enjoyable to be around. And so why don't you guys help me welcome to the studio our folks from Wood Window Rescue, Ty and Morgan. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us on, Rick. All right, so let's dig right into it because I kind of threw the the plot line out there. Why in the world, in this day of technology, young, smart guys like you, what what caused you to want to go down the rabbit hole of window rescue? Yeah, that well, it's it's uh, it's a good question, and it's uh, one of my favorite to answer, honestly. Uh, you know, I I uh, spent a lot of time in my family's construction business. My uh, grandfather started building houses in 1974, and my dad kind of took over that mantle in the uh, in the early 2000s. And uh, so, in 2010, uh, I was in the family's home building business. And one of the things I noticed being in kind of this like uh, generational family home building business was a lot of our really great craftsmen were in their uh, in their getting near retirement, uh, our, our framers and our trim carpenters, and just noticed that it just felt like the craft that they had uh, wasn't being passed down to that next generation. And as I decided to go out on my own and kind of separate myself from the family business to start my own thing inside the construction industry, I just loved old houses. Uh, I grew up in old houses. I love the way they look. And I just started getting connected to the history, started doing some remodeling work on them. And that led me to meet this really amazing uh, old window craftsman. Uh, his name was, De- his, na- his name is, not was, his name is Dennis Myers, and he, he owned this uh, one of the last original window sash manufacturers in the state of Oklahoma called Wawoka Window Works. And, and he just kind of took me under his wing. He mentored me. He showed me and my employees at that time kind of the window craft. And, uh, and we were able to kind of transition that into to bring that into the year uh, at that time, the year uh, 2016. Okay. Well, <clears throat> so you, your family had a business in construction and you went down this road for the independence and you really kind of found a niche and i guess what's interesting to me is i I remember the guy like i lived in one of the historic neighborhoods and had to have some work done on a window and the gentleman that came out and did it 
um, I wasn't sure he'd make it to the, ne- <laughs> to, to the next week, right? So, so what does that, and it's not to make light of that, but it, it really is, to your point, a craftsman kind of deal, um, which is old school, right? And today um, we talk a lot about the lack of that craftsmanship being brought down to the next generation, and you're doing that. What what lessons early on did you did you learn? You know, as you were as you were taking the mantle here from we we right? Wooka, excuse me. Wooka, yeah. The lesson that I learned early on was that uh, we couldn't really rely on getting people from other fields that we kind of had to kind of start fresh here. And, and fortunately Dennis had, had documented a lot of his processes on that window craft and was able to train us so we could then document those processes. But it was just, there wasn't, you know, you can't run an ad in the paper for uh, window craftsmen. So we, we had to start kind of by kind of rethinking how to introduce people into this industry and uh, for employment and also just as a sales aspect. Oh wow! So so you were you guys actually had the you had the challenge of trying to train your workforce while you were building out that that business. Yeah. So one of the things that I thought was or th- that we thought was really important was that we needed to separate out uh, some of the duties that we we have in our business. Um, a lot of companies that do kind of similar things that we do, they take it from start to finish, from building the window to restore or restoring the window to actually installing it. And we had to take that and separate the two. So we have uh, our manufacturing facility that specializes in those tasks, those roles, and they get really good at it. And then we started searching for people with the right values, people with a little bit of experience, and then training them to do the on-site work and everything that was needed with that. One of the ones that I, I like talking about a lot is that we had a guy that used to work at a dog kenneling place. And within about two weeks of coming into our shop, he was doing traditional joinery and making these windows that have been made for 100 years. And so it's really taking those people and putting them in the right environment to to get good at their their specific tasks. Yeah, absolutely. And that that really you don't have a lot of competition in that space, do you? No, no. Of course, we have uh, we have major you know major man- window manufacturers that are sure. steadily breathe down our neck. To, to not to compete with us to take our opportunity away to replace the windows. Uh, but as in those that just solely focus on making traditional windows and restoring them, uh, there's not a lot of competition. Uh, and a lot of our competitors are aging out. If there were, they, they're, they're aging out of, of the industry. And yeah. they're, either, they're either aging out or they're mostly focused on the east and west coasts, coasts where they have uh, much older homes than we do here in the Midwest and Central States. Yeah. Well, and that brings up a good point because you guys um, have taken the work that you've done, and I know we've talked a lot about it. You know, it's not just residential that you've embarked in the historic communities, but it's historic buildings, not all just Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. It's, in, it's in other states, and it's kind of grown, and, and we'll talk a little bit of, more about that. But when I'm always interested, at what point did you recognize, you know, where the true opportunities were for you um, when you took over that business, or did you know right out of the gate that, hey, I'm going to take over this business and we're going to we're going to go broader with it? Yeah, I think I knew I knew before we took over Wawoka that there was an opportunity here. I, I I had had some experience working in these historic neighborhoods, knew some of the rules and regulations, and this this movement to protect our, our built history. 
And then I looked at what was happening in areas that were older than Oklahoma. So Oklahoma, you know, most of our development happens in the 20s, the teens in the 20s. We'll look at look at the East Coast where their development happens, you know, large part of their development happens prior to that to see that there was a there was a, an, a, an appetite or an environment for this type of work. Uh, it just hadn't made it here yet. And, and so just knowing that, like, there's other people that are doing this and becoming part of that community, which is really amazing community to be part of. Okay. And so let's step back for a second because, you know, I'm going to pick on you. You're, you're a couple millennials, right? By definite, that's what they tell me, right? Um, and, and I got to tell you guys, you can't see this, but if we were doing this uh, on video, I'd be hard pressed to, to call these guys millennials. Um, but they are. But, but, I think that's a benefit, and, and what and I think you've done some creative things. So talk a little bit about some of the things that you've done different from hey from manufacturing to to going out and getting new business to getting your brand of Wood Window Rescue out there. Share with us a little bit of, of where you've taken that with your background and your experience. So on the on the manufacturing side of it, it's uh, bringing this old trade that was has has been done in different ways but into a new age. So we use um, a wood that is rot resistant. We have started to automate our processes to use machinery that is cut down a day's cut list to an hour's cut list. And we're in the process of moving to automation through CNC on glass and our joinery processes. So it takes um, and allows us to scale our business with, uh, without having to scale employees along with that and um, allows us to reach those needs farther. Okay. Yeah, so it was an act of like, actually, and this is what's interesting about this. So in, in the teens and 20s, Windows made like we make was big business. It was the business. And they had all these really uniquely designed tools to make these windows. Well, over, over the course of 100 years, those tools are all gone. And so by the time we got involved, they were all made with tools that had been retrofit to meet that need and, and uh, you know, not, not always the most efficient. So looking at what's modern and available and kind of bringing that so we can make those there. And as far as marketing and branding, that was one of the, the most key elements that we did and actually was inspired by uh, Dennis from Awoka Window Works. Uh, Dennis, when he founded, uh, he had purchased the, the tools from another old window manufacturer. He learned how to build a website. Dennis retired in 1990-something. He learned how to build a website and in 2000. And he grew Woka Window Works because he built a, win a website in 2000. And we kind of use that as inspiration to say, if this is what he did in 2000, what does that look like in 2016? Well, that means to go all in on social media, on Facebook, on, on Instagram, on, uh, on YouTube. And then not only that, but to try to hold that sense of, uh, of youth in platforms to market to. So just to always kind of be thinking, if if a 60-year-old man will learn how to build a website in 2000, what am I supposed to do and how am I supposed to reinvent that every couple of years as technology changes? So is that something on that topic, because we talk about this a lot, you know, you can outsource it or automate it or eliminate it, delegate it, whatever. How do you deal with social media and website and keeping up with it? Because after all, you know, you guys are businessmen, but you're craftsmen. Right, and so I could see that being an easy um, rabbit hole to get yourself caught up in 
of, hey, I'm down in the craftsman work all day long and I'm not having a chance to really be the business owner, right? And it's something we talk a lot about. Yeah. So do you outsource that? Have you brought that in-house? What are you doing there? Well, uh, of course, with everything, we kind of start out just kind of testing and playing around with it on our own. But we do, uh, we look to outsource those things that need a professional's touch. So like our YouTube content, we're gonna create a a professional video. We wanna do some branding. That stuff is always done by professional. Our logos are designed by a professional. But when it comes to communicating our story and the heart of our business, that's gotta come from somebody inside the business. And always, doesn't come from me. Morgan uh, does a lot of it, and even even our our uh, our craftsmen inside of our shop, our they're all engaged in kind of communicating that heart and that story. But that's got to come from from you. You can't outsource right the heart of your business. No, absolutely. Well, Morgan, so let's let's turn the tables a second because you, you've got marketing, you got manufacturing. There's products, and and you're kind of the guy that handles the financials a little bit. So how do you manage? You know, hey, because I know how it is. We've got this product. We want to grow. We need to get our brand out there. How do you manage kind of making sure everything's flowing, you know, financially? So so growing growing our business, it's uh, kind of, it started out with Ty as just a service-based company and then, then grows into the manufacturer. And so it's it's been a learning lesson for us, but... Um, we use profit first. Yeah, that's the direction. There you well, go. It, that's it, the direction that it, we should have gone. Well, <laughs> and, and, and that's and I don't mean to put you on the spot because what I uh, here's what I want, right? We always talk about all the great things, but there's challenges, right? We're startup and we have our ebbs and flows, and we learn things along the way. And um, sometimes we have to kind of go, yeah, I want to do these things, but how am I going to do them on a lower budget, right? <laughs> Share what, what it looked like. Morgan, tell them, just be honest, tell them what it looked like before we started to dive into Profit First. Uh, so we, <laughs> we were we were attempting to be a uh, customer-funded business, business while also uh, being a startup. And so when you when you do those two things, startups need, need a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. So it makes things tight. So Morgan, as you took a deeper look from the CFO role, what were some of the challenges that you guys uh, identified early on? Because you, you were having success after all. Yeah, so the first the first two years at Woodwind Rescue were spent mostly on the operations side of it. And so Ty and I get in a room and start, start talking about operations and sales. And we're just thinking, grow, grow, grow. That's that's the path that we are going down farther and farther. And so we have put people in their place or put people in a place to manage the operations of it. And that allowed me to shift into more of the CFO role and dive into our numbers, uh, how we're gonna grow, uh, and how, how we're gonna make the cash flow work. And what I realized is that we were we needed to take a step back. Um, I didn't know exactly how, uh, but we had a, had a conversation with you, Rick, that um, we, we put some numbers in front of you and you said that uh, we had to make some drastic changes. And so it was uh, as simple as like cutting expenses, but it's, but it was also as large as we had to make some layoffs and really rethink how we were going to do things and why we were going to do them. And uh, those conversations led us down the, the automation route uh, versus uh, if we were to scale and what we're hoping to be over the next five years, we were going to have about 85 or 95 employees. And that's that's not what we wanted to do. So it's it's been a lot of profit first infl- implementation. We're not fully there yet, but uh, we know that going down that route is going to be able to allow us to build a legacy business because 
the route that we were taking at any po- not at any point in time, but at some point in time, we could have imploded because we were so um, driven on growth and not our numbers. And that's that's been a real key is taking that step back, looking at our numbers, how we need to charge, why we need to charge what we do, not based off of other people, but our numbers to be able to work. And that that's really been helpful for us. And for those that don't know, even though we've had Mike on uh, the show before, uh, Profit First is a book written by um, entrepreneur Mike McCollowitz, and um, it basically is a discipline, right? And it's one of the things we see in all businesses mm-hmm. is we're growing, we're taught to be growth oriented and, and you know, especially with the way we look at our financials, it's top line revenue and it's all our operating expenses. And if there's anything left, we call that profit. And, um, and we see it. And then we don't even talk about things like taxes or emergencies that come up or, or hey, you get a big bid that you need to do and you got to come out of pocket um, to supply and you realize I don't have the money, right? And so by looking differently at the way those revenues are coming in and where they're diverted gives you a different uh, viewpoint. But, but what I wanted to know is as you've gone through that transition, has it caused you to get more creative and look at things differently because that was the point of, you know, you're looking at, hey, we want to do social media and we want to do the website and we even HGTV, which we'll, we'll cover here in a second. Some of that has expense to it, mm-hmm. right? And we want to do it because we think there's ROI in it. But at the end of the day, we can invent all sorts of things to eat up our revenue um, in the hopes of our, our ROI, right? And so how did you get creative and, and what did it force you to really do? You know, uh, one of the things we had to do, and this was a hard thing to get creative with, was to look at personnel. Is to look at, was everybody that was part of our organization adding value to our end user, and to our customer, to our neighbors? And, and that, that was the hardest thing. That was where we started with this. Because as any, any business, small business or large business, your, your top expense is going to be your payroll. And that was where we looked at our payroll, and it was just... And we did the numbers from Profit First, and we actually even used the adapted version from Sean Van Dyke, the Profit First for Contractors. We just we just identified a quick problem, which was our payroll. And here's the thing: uh, people that work at Woodwindow Rescue love Woodwindow Rescue. I uh, am I'm like I get a little chills because I think of how amazing our our staff is and how committed they are to our mission. And we had to set four we had to set four people down that we could just identify that they're amazing people. But their role at that time was not adding value. And it was if we kept them much longer, well, we would be having like you're just making all those choices. Like it's either this now or even more later. And and we had to set down each one of those. Uh, we had to get creative with the positions that we had so they could accomplish more. And those that we couldn't do that with, we had to eliminate. And that was a difficult conversation. Morgan and I uh, made a commitment to do each one of them together uh, and to let to let everybody know together. But but that was the hard thing to get creative with how we managed our personnel. And and really, it was probably one of the hardest business decisions we've had to make because we ended those layoffs with uh, hugging people, with shaking hands. Like it was, I would have rather people just yelled at me and cussed <laughs> yeah. me and all of yeah. those things because it was good and bad all at the same time just to, to hear how much they wanted to be part of what we were doing and people were saying like they af- after this is all said and done and we course corrected and become the company that we are becoming that 
they want to be back with us. And yeah. They were open for that. One of the things that, so the creative side of that, one of the things we had to do is we, so we, Morgan and I don't, don't ever want to do that again. Not to say we won't ever have to let people go or make changes. We looked at that and we said, kind of gut check, why did, why did we have to do that? Why did we, how did we get to the point where we had people around here that we didn't need? And that was, or that didn't add value uh, because they're amazing people. How did we get there? Well, anytime something kind of came up that, you know, we kind of felt a little bit of pain in an area, just hire somebody. Just the windows aren't getting painted, hire someone to paint them. Somebody is being a little bit grumpy about doing this position. We'll hire someone to do that position. We just hired, just hired this person, hired that person. And to back up and to look at our business organizationally, you know, create that organizational chart. Look at what, if you had a perfect world and you could, you could start from scratch, what each role would be and what that job description would be in that role. And then to hire for those things. And if, if you have a pain in an area like painting, well, don't just hire to solve the pain. Look at the pain. The guy that likes to, the guy that sells us our machinery uh, always tells me you can solve your problems in, in a manufacturer, man method machine. And to go, okay, let's let's back up. Let's go method machine man. Reverse engineer though. Reverse that whole thing. Yeah. Let's start with the method. Do we have a problem with our method? And because I think in, in the end, Morgan, I definitely felt like we failed the people we had to let go because we hired them without having a method for them to add value. And so when we woke up, we're like, they, they don't add the value they need to add. And so we've got to make that change. And it's not just base, the basic job descriptions that everybody gets. Uh, what, what Ty's really pushed for and what we've been working on is not a job description, but a list of, list of tasks and a checklist associated with those. So people are able to accomplish a whole lot more whenever they know exactly what they're supposed to do rather than responsible for the operations of, insert whatever they're working mm-hmm. on. Gives them a chance to own it. Yeah. Right? Like they really know what what this has to be on the final outcome for them. Yeah. Right. And so they, they get to own it. And I know you guys, uh, you know, the funny thing is I'm sitting here going, you're such big hearted guys. And I know it tore you up because I remember having that conversation with you. And, you know, you handled it the right way because you made you, you made advocates out of people. And I'm sitting here thinking of the number of times people in careers have had to let workers go. And it does not have to be adversarial. And I think I think if you can explain, you know, um, that and, and I'm not an HR guy and we'll give it off to those people. But I do think there's something that's what I love about small business is it is impactful. Sometimes it's negative impact because you got to make those decisions that hurt a family in the short run. But if they're talented, we can help them get somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, who do we know? And, and, and as we grow, as long as we keep that relationship open um, and they're champion, what you do, you're, you hit it on the head. You just never know. Right. And, and so um, congratulations. Unfortunately, that was a tough period, but it grew you guys um, yeah. as owners, right? And and we like that. So let's let's switch gears a little bit, all right? Because you're having success, the the business is growing. I want to talk about this little stint on HGT, <laughs> HGTV because my wife loves HGTV, and um, you know I, I remember seeing the show, uh, the pilot. Um, how did that? opportunity present itself yeah so my 22 minutes of fame or woodwind rescues 22 minutes of fame man that was 
So uh, to be honest, that the HGTV thing, just to give you a little behind the scenes, HGTV did not come out of success. It came out of a picture that a scout saw on social media. So the early kind of crew that we had that were working on these old houses, we took a picture in front of my house, uh, beards and flannels, and uh, it looked like an HGTV show. It just looked like it. And I think, I think the guy that was helping me out at the time, I put renovation squad or something on top of the picture. <laughs> and, and it wasn't long, and I got a call from, from this really uh, nice girl in, uh, in Canada. She just started asking me those questions about, like, have you ever thought about being a show? I thought it was complete, you know, bogus, not real. But it just slowly progressed over about an 18-month uh, period where one day uh, uh, a crew from L.A., was here in Oklahoma City gonna gonna film us uh, doing uh, doing a show for HGTV. So yeah, it was uh, HGTV doesn't always have uh, and and in my exa- my my example is perfect for it. Uh, the uh, the success story. Most of the times it's it's uh, it's kind of a, a, a fake. Well, it's like anything else. They have to it's try. Definitely TV, right? They have to try <laughs> and pilot and yeah. see what happens and. This time it didn't, but did you ever imagine? That's the thing that hits me is, so here you go, you you buy the company, you're doing this, in your wildest dreams, would you ever imagined that you would have gotten a phone call and, and then be a part of something like that? No, no, not at all. I mean, and, and you know what? Maybe I imagined I got a phone call because I'm that type of person, but I never imagined it actually ever come to anything. Right. Every time I was like, I was always sure that they were either going to find me out, like they were going to realize I wasn't as perfect as they thought I was, or, you know, there was going to be some better looking guy with a beard (laughs) that they were going to go with. (laughs) I got to tell you, I I always push you to do videos because the character is, is, um, unique and, and I think people love it and and so I think that's great. But I want to give you can I if I can yeah. I want to give you a real story of HGTV. Yes. So this is this is a real story. Uh, of course all the work we did was real and the house was beautiful. It's in my neighborhood. The 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 the, the homeowners go to school with my my daughters. But Morgan had just started on as my business partner. So Morgan comes on September uh, two thousand and seventeen and in November I think it's November. Yeah. No. In November, we're filming. So he's just been there like 60 days. And when I filmed for HGTV, it was an all-day weekend. It was like a Thursday through Saturday filming that we did like every month. We did this. And I, I basically had to turn my phone off and shut off completely from what we were doing. We were in the middle of, at that point in time, our largest commercial com- uh, project to date. And basically, I'm like, hey, Morgan – Glad you're here. Thanks for being my business partner. Uh, I'm going to go uh, turn my phone off for three days and uh, figure it out. Uh, and uh, <laughs> fortunately, Morgan's the type of guy that did. Yes. Uh, but, I, you know, there were a lot of I, – I know it was, like, super stressful for him. It was really stressful for everybody. And it was it was fun, but in the end, uh, definitely uh, – it's one of those things you got to weigh the value yeah. of, of, of TV. Well, that's what I was going to ask you um, – Outside of it just being a fun experience, did it do anything to help your business? No, no. Within the, <laughs> the week or two after that, we had uh, people calling in to say, "Hey, can you do our uh, 
a porch renovation for us? And can you can you do uh, wood siding for us? No, we're wood, wood window rescue. That's all we do. Yeah, I think I, even in that, I had three total phone calls. Right. Uh, so it's not. Now I will say that I think that I mean I definitely use it for every everything that's worked. Now we post it on you know repost it or whatever on social media and share it. It was a fun experience, but uh, no, not really. It really was a pretty expensive thing. I mean. I'll just be honest. Like they paid me a whole thirty five hundred dollars to do it for this. Uh, what would end up being about a year's worth of work, and uh, definitely didn't get my, my my money back. But I learned a lot. I will say I learned a lot about managing people because the guys behind the camera. Wow, really? These are the most inspirational people I have ever spent time around with. It, it really kind of changed the way I talk to people. When they would, so you have the other uh, production manager or production director, and he stands behind the cameraman, and you look at him because that's who you're supposed to make eye contact with, not the camera. And when you get done talking, he'll say, that was really amazing. That was great. So what I want you to do is I want you to say it this way. <laughs> and, and so you're so good. You're so amazing. And then you would say it again, and he would go, wow, that was so good. But let's just go back to what I said a minute ago do it the way I asked you to. And he just smiles. And he's so excited the whole time. And I just realized, wow, I was happy the whole time. And he was telling me I sucked. <laughs> but I just smiled and did it again. It was so much energy that I was like, wow, you can really get a lot done if you just turn your energy up and smile. Smiles. <laughs> well, so I, was he trying to get your confidence? Yeah, it's all about right. getting my confidence up and keeping my energy up. Because when you're standing in front of a house in November in Oklahoma for 12 hours saying roughly the same thing, it gets it gets really old. Yeah. And so, of course, they uh, they keep you full of espresso beans, and, uh, and they'll make any coffee run you ever want. Uh, but it's about keeping your energy up and keeping your positivity up. And, and just realize, like, how, how valuable can that be in regular day-to-day -day business to keep your – Keep everybody's energy up and keep them positive. And that goes back to what we always talk about entrepreneurs is we need to celebrate. Right? Yeah. That's part of keeping the energy high and with our teams and ourselves. And not it needs to be more than just a high five and add a boy and, and move on. I want to let's talk. You know, we, I think people have a good base for what you do um, with the business. Let's talk about the future. What's got you excited about the direction that that you guys are headed? What we're excited about right now mainly is that we know that this need, this demand is is national. And and really for us, I mean the money is the money is of course cool, but but really what we're focused on is is that we started this business because we want to see uh, America's built environment rescued. Uh, and we're gonna do that through windows. Uh, we, we definitely have a, an environmental like push that we really think that we hate to see things end up in landfills. I, reason why I'm not huge fans of HGTV is that they brag about how much stuff they put in a dumpster. That's kind of against where we're at. So we just see that the opportunity is massive. And we look out across the U.S. Morgan, you have the, like, how many houses are built before? So there's 24 million homes in the U.S. built before 1940. And you've got homeowners out there that are stressed. They, they don't know who to call. And I'm not just talking about windows. I'm talking about anything. They don't know who's qualified to do the work. The the people that did know are aging out, retiring, or passing on. Uh, they don't know how to how to handle the the permitting and the and the license and the stuff that goes along with old and old house. And we just see there's this huge opportunity to engage with them 
Uh, and it just gets us really excited. I mean, I could go on and on and on about all the different things you could do with this. But in the short term, it looks like us starting locations in other cities. I know we're, 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 we're of course, we're, we're working on and actively pre-selling for Dallas. Mm -hmm. And what else do we have that we're kind of looking at? So uh, we're looking at an additional 10 locations over the next three years, uh, mostly based in the Midwest and Central um, Great Plains region. Sleeper cities like Omaha, Nebraska, um, Kansas City, things that people don't really think about could be this uh, really successful business and putting our business model into the cities like that through business part or business partners uh, allows somebody to come in and um, meet meet the needs kind of like I had. I love old homes. I, I like talking to people about their homes. And at the heart of it, I'm an entrepreneur that I didn't know until I got into this. And the model pays yourself well too. So it kind of encompasses all of these things while providing a need back to the homeowners that uh, the homeowners really connect with because um, you're, you're in their neighborhood and you're helping them out on preserving the history of their home. Yeah, so you talk, So obviously there's a growth plan ahead. Is that through franchising or are you gonna just open locations corporately? How do you see that playing itself well, out? Well, we believe we gotta execute it first. Okay. Ourselves, like okay. you, you can't, you can't, you can't ask someone to franchise something if you can't pull it off outside of your backyard. And boy, that's a good point. So uh, Dallas is our first attempt at that, and we also know that to do that, there's a separation when they're not in your backyard anymore between having being able to walk into Morgan or I's office and ask that question, be able to walk in the shop and ask our lead craftsman that question. So we know that that's built on standard operating procedures and operations manual. So we know that. We've got some we've got some things to do before we get that, but we franchising is is the most common way to grow something like our business and something that we believe that can be executed once we've once we've tested it ourselves and just put our put ourselves through that ringer of of starting starting a new one all over again. So the first few locations are going to be based off of a profit first model. Okay. Uh, it it's really cool because it allows the uh, location owners and our business partners to uh, start a business with. Uh, no debt or the the small amount of debt that they may have to take out is paid for in their first year's profit and uh, then it ensures that as long as they're doing the work they're getting paid off of a profit for a system which ends up paying the owner really well yeah yeah it's a really kind of the look back and kind of re-engineer how we got started to look at like what what were the key elements that made us successful early on and no debt was a big part of that the only debt we had was Technically, the truck that I was already driving, I was going to drive anyway. That's the only debt that we had was the auto. Uh, and so to look at that and to look at then how did we grow that? And it was through the local community and really treating people as our neighbor, to mm -hmm. look at that as our neighbor. And so that's, we don't even call them customers anymore. We call everybody our neighbor. But but it's kind of to drill down to like, how, how, did we, how did we launch this thing in the beginning? What made us unique and special? And we believe that we can just copy that as long as, as long as we're sharing those values with the future people. It fall, falls into my next question, and you've kind of answered that, like what you've learned is, hey, not giving them an opportunity with no debt to get this going. What what advice, so you guys have done this, you've been in the, you've been in the heat of the battle. I tell my wife sometimes, it's like, you know, every day you feel like you're in a little fist fight, right? And, you, and you're good with it, but every day it's a little fist fight. So you've been through that for a while now. If there was somebody that was thinking about starting a business today, what advice would you share with them? 
knowing your price that's that's huge because one of the things that we had have been doing over the last two years is seeing uh, what we need what we can be charging in the the homes that we work on but also what we need to be charging to operate the business that we need to do and so knowing that those $25, $50, $100 fluctuations that you have in a price in your price have a huge impact on your profit margin and if you don't have profit you don't have a long-term business. And so we've been able to to wrap and find or wrap in and find what the those numbers need to be and I think that's that's huge for anybody that's out there starting their own business. What I tell people, especially in the trades, because that's what I think about the most is like who's in the trades. It's the kind of that environment that I grew up in is to drill down and, and get niche, get get small, uh, because in today's economy, you can do small in a big way because of the way you can reach people. So you no longer have to be Oklahoma City's garage door company and buy a four thousand dollar billboard. You can be your neighborhood's guy or girl company. Uh, you can you can really drill down to specialize, and you don't have to specialize in old houses. You can specialize in the needs of of of, of homes built between 1970 and 1990, as they as those kind of unique things that are changing, or 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 new houses. But but it's to really and, and you can you can do this in any business. Is really getting get niche because you can grow your business, and you get a really good sense of when you're small, you're you're looking at a small set of uh, of customers. You get a really good sense of who they are. And that's the cool thing about what we do is I know with clear certainty, and I'm, we've known for a long time, what our ideal customer looks like. And a lot of businesses struggle with knowing what their ideal customer looks like because they're they're so broad. Yes. But if you can get yourself small, you can really drill down. And with the way that technology works today, that you can then target that very small subsect of people and and reach your ideal client, which gets your ideal product out, which creates your most profitable projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, which and that's what I love about about uh, Facebook and social media and all that stuff. Is I no longer have to. When my dad's roofing company, my grandfather put his name on bus stops, McBride Homes, <laughs> on bus stops in 1990. And 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 you think about okay, that works or billboards. You think about how many people drove by that that. <laughs> got on the bus that didn't need a new house. So if now, you take the $500 that was allocated towards putting it on bus stops, but then you put that on social media through uh, Facebook and you target the four or 5,000 people that you're actually going to work for in the only neighborhoods that you're going to work for, uh, the, that $500 goes much uh, right. much farther. And it guarantees that, I mean, almost always the person that calls me, no one ever calls me and says, Hey, can you come out to this place in suburbia and look at my my vinyl window? No one ever calls me for that because I never asked them to call me. Right. I asked my neighborhood that I was targeting to call me, and that's so just, just drill down in your business, get niche, get small, and then once you once you figure out how to do it right for that small sect, you can then just you can you can scale that so much easier. You can scale blasting billboards around or TV ads or all that other stuff. So what I like. You guys are uber passionate about what you're doing, and you blend the old with the new. And I think that's, I think it not only is an opportunity for millennials, but I think it's an opportunity for the over 50 entrepreneur, right? And one of the things I always talk about is, you know, when, you, when you're over 50, and maybe you're not as used to the technology, but there's a heck of a lot of people that are, and they're comfortable with it. 
And, you know, maybe you don't have to hire them, but you can engage them, right? So they don't have their work in a different way today. Um, and so this has been great. So, you know, we talk about freedom a lot. And I think I, I kind of want to get, we're getting towards the end of the show, but I know that freedom is a goal for you guys. I'd just be curious, ultimately, what does freedom as a business owner for you two, uh, what does it look like? So for me, freedom in our business is my ability to stand back and watch our business run through the leaders and the people that we've put into place and not having to stand within that business and watching it run. Yeah, I'm the same way. I want to work till I'm 100 years old. Uh, my, my, my grandfather uh, uh, passed away at 102, and I think he got off the tractor the, the last day. Uh, right before then, just because he did what he loved. And, and, and I, I love doing this. I want to work on this forever. But just like Morgan said, I want to be able to, freedom for me is to be able to have the time I want to, to focus on the things that the business needs. Uh, of course, to be able to spend time with my family. But, but it, it's, to, it's to be able to set outside of my business and, and to look at it, operate, and then to help fine tune it. That's what freedom looks like for me. Love it. So if people want to learn more about Wood Window Rescue, right? Yeah. Let's say they live in a, an old place, but, but and, I, and I want to hit on this, it's not just residential. You guys do some big commercial stuff, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, but if people want to learn more about the work that you do uh, or just reach out, maybe they have a question, right? I know you guys are pretty accessible. Yeah. How, what's the best way for them to kind of get to know you guys and how to, how to get in touch and learn more? I'm going to bring on our website. Just Google Wood Window Rescue. We're, we're like the top 20 results. <laughs> Or just go to woodwindowrescue.com. That's okay. that's the best and easiest way to get in contact with us. So woodwindowrescue.com. Yeah. Or Google it. Or just Google it. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, check us out on Instagram, Facebook. We're all, always answering questions from people. We had some come in this morning. We were, we were talking about different things yeah. and helping people out. Fabulous. Guys, really knew this would be fun. I appreciate you being on the show. And I think our audience will get something out of this pretty entertaining. You guys, you've been listening to the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast once again, and this is your host, Rick Hadrava. Really appreciate you tuning in. And until next time, let's just keep moving things forward. Thank you. The Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap, build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next level goals. Download our freedom formula at epicsbiz.com slash formula. And remember, we're only getting started.